We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a score? Somebody call Andre Arshavin because we need goals at Anfield. This is the Arsenal Vision pre-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And we are live. We are talking to you about the game at Anfield tomorrow, Saturday. And uh, it's a big game early in the season. Always a cause for celebration and nerves. Did not go great last season. I don't think I need to remind anybody that this was a 5-1 hammering. But I just did. And I am sorry. Uh, I am joined by Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. Uh, as, as effusive as ever. Um, so, some quick housekeeping. If you missed it, we obviously did a podcast earlier this week, a post-match podcast. We did a couple of Patreon pods. We did Danny Ceballos' uh, match spotlight for his game against Burnley. We did an FPL pod because uh, the Patreon thingy that we do has a, an FPL league, so we're doing that. Keeping it kind of separate, but it's there if you want it. There's some amazing uh, data and stats in the in the Discord chat, too, and I hope if you want to give that a try that you will, you'll come say hi because uh, we'd love to have you there. But either way, if not, we got lots of good stuff for free like this and the regular pods and we'll have a post-match pod and all that, but let's dive in. And before we talk Liverpool, Clive, we didn't get a chance to talk on it on the last pod, and we didn't get a chance to address it really anywhere yet, so I think we should just sort of quickly address Josh Kroenke sitting down with David Ornstein, talking a little bit about his vision for the club, his participation. It's a new era at Arsenal, certainly, with Josh Kroenke seeming to take the reins from Stan, and certainly from a PR standpoint, become the figurehead of the club. How do you feel about what was said in that interview and the transition to Josh and what it might mean for the future of the club? Yeah, I suppose um, I suppose listening to David on scene today on Andrew's podcast on Ask Blog, I thought it was fantastic chat, and um, I suppose he had me at single ownership. Really, that's the th- that is the key step. I think it's something that I always hoped for. Um, just just a whole scenario of having two owners battling out for supremacy. It will look back maybe in a few in many years' time and realize that was the pure stagnation of the club where we were literally just repainting the windows rather than changing and putting an extension on. Right? And that was really a period of um, where we had hope. We had these two very rich men in the background, but really we were, we were stale. And we just allowed our manager to really run the club as a, as a single entity. Um, Ivan Gazidis eventually was tasked with removing the manager, in my opinion, and which he did, but he didn't have the uh, gumption to take the club forward, and he went away. 
and then we've got a new structure in place and you know something that i've always hoped to see you've heard me say it a million times earlier layers of people not having single points of failure roles and responsibilities a proper organization and so for me for a while now this has been moving in the right direction and and the coach was always just something of the last piece but not the major piece and i feel we've we've been made to look at the club through the eyes of the manager and i think we need to change how we supported the club and i think the clunkies need to change and how they supported the club and it's evident that's happened by Hiring good people, well, we, can, we can say good now, post the summer transfer break. Hiring good people, giving them responsibilities, giving them a structure by which to work in. And we're starting to see the change in the club. We're starting to see the people that actually own the asset, nurture the asset, and potentially even invest in the asset. I had a conversation with Tim Payton a long time ago, and I sort of said to him, you know, if the Cronkies get hold of this club, I wonder if the self-sustainable model will go. And I, I'm not just him. I got slammed by loads of people saying, "No, we'll never change. We'll never change." But I think we, I think we potentially could change. I really do think that why wouldn't you want to invest in something that you own? Why wouldn't you want to add more infrastructure or maybe pay for the infrastructure that we have outstanding debts on to allow more flexibility to put towards assets on the football pitch? There are ways to invest. In it. I know you know that too. There are ways to invest. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do going forward. But I am—I um, was always fairly positive. I, I, I wanted to give them a chance. I was never going to shut down on the club and shut down on the people that had that single ownership. And now we're—I'm sure everyone's feeling the same. Mm. When you have an organisation that looks like it's functional, it just feels different. And we all can see it. We all can feel it. And we're thinking, okay, this is interesting because we're moving with pace. We're not being hesitant. We're, we're making decisions. And we're acting like a place where it's hard to be at rather than a place where you come to get your pension. And I, I, I love that. And I still think there's work to do. As we all know, there's work to do. And we'll probably get into some of that work as we go through the Liverpool preview. But I, for one, am very excited and mm. so much looking forward to... Developing a new club which for the last 22 years has just not, sorry, I shouldn't say that, for the last eight or nine years has really, maybe since 2009, has really been stagnating and now we're starting yeah. to see us move away from that drift. Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> I think it is fair to be optimistic and think that there are signs that things could be improving without having to go all the way to saying everything is great and now we are a perfectly run club. And I think we too often try to uh, fall back on those binaries, things are great or things are shit, when there can be gradients. And for me, what's happening with Josh and the way he's speaking and the, the moves the club have made and the actions they've taken and the combination of all of those things indicate to me that on the scale of being a well-run club, we are moving in the right direction. Are we there yet? <clears throat> I think it would be silly to say we are because, as I have always said, one summer uh, does not make a, a club just like one swallow does not make a blowjob. But, like, you know... I think it is very clear that Josh understands that the fans want to hear from ownership, and, and doing that can only be a good thing. You know, if, if you have a four-year-old, like I do, and your four-year-old misbehaves, sure, you could say the four-year-old is misbehaving. But what are people going to say when they see a poorly behaved four-year-old? They're going to say, oh, they must have terrible parents, right? And I think part of the reason that ownership has gotten so heavily criticized is that the club has behaved poorly, and the presumption is that the ownership is not doing the right things. So when... Arson was sort of in decline and, and stuck around maybe a bit too long, and Gazidis was allowed to continue earning a bonus despite not performing at, at the level he should have. And then, you know, Arson goes, and Gazidis goes, and Sven comes, and Sven goes, and we bring in Dennis Suarez in January, and everything looks like shit, and we're sliding down the table, and we're in Europa League. Of course fingers are going to be pointed at ownership. But you also sort of have to look and say, what, what was ownership doing wrong? Were they not spending well, they did buy Lacazette, and they did buy Aubameyang, and they have sanctioned some big sales all along the way. The problems have been losing players like Ramsey on a free, um, commercial deals that weren't necessarily competitive, executives that maybe were in over their head, a lot of decisions that just weren't taken by ownership. So if Josh is more focused on the club, if he's more aware of what needs to be done, if he's more connected to what's happening at the club, 
then maybe we won't see those kinds of mistakes repeated. And, and that's just something that's going to take time to determine. But I, I think, Paul, one of the things that I do like about this is that, you know, when you are owned by an ownership group that, that has lots of sports investments, because that's really what they are, it is very easy to feel like you are part of a portfolio. And no one wants to think that their club is just a part of a portfolio. And one of the things that happens when Josh is willing to sit down and explain his vision and talk in a way that evinces at least some level of consideration and some level of involvement is that you, and, and it could be illusory, but you certainly feel that there is a focus on the club and its performance rather than it just being a bundle of assets in a portfolio. So for you, how valuable is the PR? Is is him connecting with the media and reaching out to the fans, is it purely illusory or does it have a value in and of itself? Uh, both sides of the coin have a value. Obviously, the messaging is important because before that, they there was almost a signal that they didn't really care about the messaging. They You would get a corporate speak and limited uh, response in fact, a non-response. They would talk in their own good time. But I think there's a world of difference. Uh, I've always, I think when we've had these conversations, voiced some hope that Josh would make a difference. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Expecting a 72-year-old American with no background in soccer to be responsive to the Premier League and to be willing to take risks. You, you're not going to take risks if you're Stan Kroenke and if you have no feel for the business. And he operated, you know, he came in and uh, whenever it was, he started to get involved in Arsenal Affairs 2007 or 8 or whatever, and he was part of the board um, as things moved forward. And then he took the ownership position. He was obviously much more comfortable dealing with Arson. Um, and dealing with Gazidis, who would give him his executive speak and kind of keeping it at arm's length and working at that level. You, t you then see Josh talking about how things have changed because uh, when Arson was around, and I'm, I'm not in the knocking Arson business, but I think it's instructive that he said when Arson was in business, Josh or whoever would have a meeting with one man, Arson. And now there are various people you can imagine Raul, Vinay, uh, Edu, etc. that when you're having a meeting about the footballing or the business side of the business, you've got a, a, a team of people you work with. Now, Josh spent several months uh, at the Emirates, uh, what, probably the best part of two years ago now, trying to resolve how we move forward strategically. So, and he, he's in his 40s. Uh, he enjoys multiple sports, in, including soccer. He just has a much more feel for the business. Now, if you're going to take risks like we've just done this summer, like basically they have said, hey, that cash pile we've been sitting on for years, let's actually use some of that. If you're going to use it, if you're going to take risks, if you're going to lean out in front, you need to have a feel for the business so that you understand the risks you're taking. And that to me is what really changed. You can read all sorts of things in what Josh said, but the basic part of it is we, we didn't get into the Champions League at the end of last season. We reacted. We wanted to, to, to make risks, to, to, take, to make moves, to dip into the cash and do some brave things. And right from the get-go, uh, after the uh, after his uh, discussion during the summer, after the We Care Do You uh, messaging where he responded the next day uh, in the U.S., it was very clear we were already on the fr front foot. That wasn't – good things came from that campaign, yeah. but there was a plan in place, mm. and it was clearly already in action. He was clearly confident about it and said, be very excited and so I think it's all very positive. It's responsive. I think we're still self-sustaining, but we're just willing to take, dip in and take risks because Josh has much more of a feeling for where we're at in, the, in our footballing business than Stan ever could have at, yeah. um, historically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look, I, I think correlation does not equal causation, but that doesn't mean correlation is irrelevant. <laughs> um, I think the fact that Stan now owns the club outright and that, 
you know, red and white are gone, red and white holdings, Usmanov. And, and uh, David Ornstein referenced this on the Arscast as well, which you should listen to because it was an excellent interview. Um, I think there's a willingness to put more focus and, and resources behind Arsenal now at KSE because all the benefits are newer to them and not to a hostile partner. And I think there was sort of a prisoner's dilemma at Arsenal before because anything that Stan did to enhance Arsenal enhanced his rival as well, who he was trying to buy out and remove. So it is a really difficult thing. How do you keep a club going forward without pushing it forward too far such that you make it impossible to remove your rival and and increase what you're going to have to pay to buy them out? So you think about it. Let's say you and I own a house together, God forbid, and that house is worth 100,000 pounds. And I want to buy your share of the house. Am I going to put in new hardwood floors and marble countertops and and make it beautiful so that now it's worth 200,000 pounds and I have to pay you more to get rid of you? No, I'm going to try to, you know, I don't want the house to fall apart, but I do want to, you know, try to make it, try to keep it ticking over right where it was until the time I can buy you out and then I'm going to make it look nicer and enhance my investment. So maybe that change has been valuable. I I think we can move on from this conversation because we are a day away from a very, very big game and I think that is where the majority of the interest is. So Clive, let's let's talk uh, Liverpool. This was an unpleasant trip for us last season and really one of the more sobering moments. I mean, I guess you could say some of the disappointing home performances were the most sobering, but one of the more sobering moments last season, the 5-1 loss at Anfield, we... We really had our comedy defending on display. This game comes early for us. It's unclear whether Pepe will be ready to start. Um, interesting quote from Hector Bellerin uh, given to the website today. He said, Danny Ceballos is one of the best players he's ever seen in his career, which I think is huge praise. So let's let's start with this. Who for you are the key Arsenal players who have to start and have big games if we are going to be competitive in this game tomorrow? Well, when, when you're playing... Uh teams like Liverpool, Man City, I don't think you can narrow it down to one or two, mate. You need all 11. You really do. You well, so who are 40. the 11 players you feel you need to have a good game? <laughs> well, I, 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 I've stayed away from a lot of previews this week because I want you to just talk from what I, what I feel I'm from watching Liverpool's games and watching the Super Cup and, you know, just just watching, obviously watching Arsenal. And I think there's, there's a level of optimism that obviously everyone's feeling. And, and I, I hope that at the end of this game, that will still be there. And I, and I expect it to be. That doesn't mean that we'll win. I just hope that we're going to show people our Sunday, you know, our, our Saturday best as such, our Sunday best, by just performing with a level of um, attitude and belonging. I felt in some of these games we've been a little bit humble, been like a little puppy dog, snapping at people's ankles, trying to get trying to get a bit of attention. When we're at home, we feel much more confident. But away from home against top six teams, we have to remind ourselves we've not won for a long, long time. Right. So, so I'm hoping we're going to go with a level of of personality. Right. So, from so for me, that's really key. But also, I think there's a I have a. I have a hesitation and I have a, a positive. The hesitation for me is I think Liverpool have a bundle full of confidence and I think they're a touch more powerful than us. And I think that's, that could come out in the game. And it's, I think it's how we evade that power. I think they're just two or three years more mature in certain areas of the pitch. And I think that power and weight could we could find quite challenging. And so if you're asking me the players that are going to have to, to go well, I think it's a two centre-halves. I think it's Lacazette, actually. Some of our more powerful, athletic players are going to have to be at their best. Because I think we have a number of good technicians, but we're quite light. We're quite light on the ball. Tobias is quite light. Guendouzi can be seen to be quite light. Willock is light. You know, we've got some... Pepe hasn't got his power base yet if he starts. So I think there's a... We could, despite our speed and newfound agility and multi-positional problem solvers in, in centre midfield, depending on what we pick, I just worry about that. On the flip side to this, I do think we have a lot more technical confidence and security than we've had for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. I think if we, can, if we can impart that security on them, I think we could cause some problems. There are gaps in their midfield. They are, they've been running forward so long 
for so many months when they were forced to run backwards you know, versus Chelsea and against Norwich, particularly on the right-hand side of their defence, we saw something that we haven't seen for a while. Vulnerabilities closer to their goal, leading to their box, crossing from the left-hand side, just driving in that centre-back, right-hand side partnership. And I've got a feeling they will go with uh, Matip and Joe Gomez for tomorrow because I just think they recognise it too. And they're not going to disrespect Aubameyang, who's going to be in that slot. They're not going to disrespect uh, Lacazette, who's going to be holding Van Dyke, hopefully, to a position where he, he can't go over and cover all the mess. So, so, so I, wait, so you I, think Alexander-Arnold won't start? I don't think he'll start. I think in summer, I think in some of the more top, top games, I think he stays out. And I, and I think he could stay out this game. And I think Matip has done well. I think Joe Gomez is more of a defensive uh, right back. And if you're saying, you know, we're playing Arsenal, where do you want to go? Where do you want to stop them? You want to stop them in the right back area, don't you? That's the, that's the area that we go into the most. So I think if I was Klopp, I would, I would go with that lineup. I think that could be, that could be interesting for us. That's That's a sign of respect. And, And if they go with Alexander Arnold, well, bring it on. Right, because he's a very, very good footballer, and I'm sure one day will end up in midfield. But going backwards in that corner, I think he's got he's got real issues, and he's really vacating it. And I think with our newfound 60-yard centre back, passing centre back, I think we got a chance to really get yeah. in there and, and really pick on those areas. And, I'm, and that's that's what gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, it's really interesting, Paul. I mean, I, I think what's so ironic about this game is you talk about two teams that are strong and weak in the same way, in that the idea of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mohamed Salah attacking our left defensive flank terrifies me. I mean, Nacho Monreal being protected by Aubameyang. I mean, Ainsley Maitland-Niles being protected potentially by Pepe. You know, with with um, with uh, uh, Sadio Mane over there, right? I, I don't, you know, and Andy Robertson. Like, I don't, I don't love either of those ideas, but at the same point... If Robertson and, and Alexander-Arnold are pushing way up the pitch and they have two not particularly defensive attacking wide forwards, what does that mean for Pepe and Aubameyang in terms of finding pockets of space? And, you know, as Clive referenced, potentially having David Luiz get on the ball and, and ping long balls over the top. They have been playing a higher line this season. And one of the things that I think is really interesting, Giant Gunner posted some really cool data viz in the, the stats section of our Discord chat. And one thing that I looked at is, Liverpool have faced almost no pressure in midfield. And I'm just wondering, do we have the horses in midfield to pressure them, try to play in transition and get into those channels between the the center backs and the fullbacks because those fullbacks instinctively push up. So for you, are you more scared of defending the wings or more excited about attacking them down the wings? Uh, A bit of both. I think the key to us... Um, I can live with us playing three centre-backs or two centre-backs as long as we have a three-man midfield with Sabalas in there. And Ceballos. I have thoughts on who... Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ceballos. Um, and I have thoughts on who the other two, two lads should be, but I think that's the key piece for me, that we have a three-man midfield because it is the one area. I saw a pundit's combined 11, and the reaction from Liverpool fans was hilarious because... Uh, we had two of the three midfielders, and they were uh, Ceballos and Willock. And the meltdown over, you know, this player they didn't know who was 20 years old making the three-man midfield. Um, and uh, imagine if uh, the guy had done the right thing and actually put Ganduzi in there as the third-man midfield, the, the meltdown from the, the Liverpool fans over this thing. But I, I think if we can get a, we'll match up really well in midfield. Now they, they tend to move quickly through or over midfield, so it, it doesn't swing the game your way. But it's an area in which we could take some level of control, and that also gives us some level of security over our defence. Uh, however, we're structured there. So I think that. I think we've got to keep it compact, and you can do that with a three-man midfield. I think it's very hard for our team to keep anything compact in transition if we have a two-man midfield. Um, and, you know, if that third midfielder or whatever it is, is is more like Nelson on the left or Ozil floating around, I, I don't see Ozil starting. You know, you, that 
the way Ceballos drops deep and sits with and in that three-man midfield makes all the difference for transitions in both directions and giving us protection, holding on to the ball. So uh, it'll be interesting when the team sheet comes out tomorrow. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be surprises. <clears throat> I don't... Uh, I, I was... I'd like us to match up as 4-3-3 against them, but I Me don't too. think it... I, I think th- a three-man midfield or a three-man defense... <clears throat> At centre back with Luis in the middle also has some logic to it. Uh, with our our wing backs getting forward, I, I, I think either way we probably lose no matter what we do. But I still fancy our chances of of nicking something here if we keep it close and bring Pepe on in the second half. Um, but I think the key is that we have an area of strength and that's the midfield, which they tend to bypass. And with that high line they've been playing. Maybe they'll dial that back a little bit for this game, and with a maybe a, a, a slightly nervy keeper, uh, Adrian behind that. I mean, there's it, there's definitely the target, and if we sit back a little bit, keep it compact, and and free up Obama Yang to run at them and their high line. Um, it, it, when you look at last season's game, it was five-one. There were two stupid penalties in there. Now you can't lawyer your way into out of the result, but it probably should have been a 3-1 result. And even in that, Aubameyang skied a ball All right. from no, six, not, six inches this. out. <laughs> we so, got outplayed badly in that game. We, well, we did, but you, you don't do the really stupid stuff. And, you know, instead of it being a 5-1, um, that could have been an interesting game. I, I can't lawyer us into winning it or not losing it, but it should never have been 5-1. And I don't see why if we don't keep this one a little bit more compact... We aren't right in it. I still think we'll probably lose by a goal, maybe two. Uh, but we could nick it, and we could have a really interesting second half if we've kept it tight, because these guys could get a little nervous where they're at in the season. So, Clive, you want to come in? Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, also we we all picked the systems in our mind, so and we've all debated even on last week's podcast. I've fine if I did listen to a Liverpool journalist this week and he said when Tottenham went to Anfield I think they played a three in the first half and got absolutely blitzed at the back and um, and second half they went to a four diamond two and I think they got nearly got a point out of it so um, and they were totally in charge I do feel a three midfield or potentially a diamond in midfield would be really useful and I, and I tell you why I think we've, we've got to be we've got to close that space we can't give them the sides if you go there with a three, they're just going to run you down the sides and stretch out Monreal, stretch out Socrates into one-on-one isolated tackles. Those sort of tackles get you a yellow card in the first 10 minutes because you're one-on-one in wide spaces and you just get that's how you get a card. So you've got to take away the easy ping into that corner and into both corners. So I would definitely go the four. I, I'm, I definitely want a three in midfield and whether you go four, three, three or four diamond with one behind the two up, I, I, I don't really mind. Um, but I do think it's a game of stopping waves of attack. That's the key of Liverpool. They get on a on a wave and they go one, they go two, they go three attacks, score. Do you know what I mean? And you've got to repel the first wave, regain, retain, hold, play. Make them separate. Make them creep backwards. You're absolutely right. They are playing a higher line this year. So you've got to make them creep. I think we have the option to make them creep backwards by going a little bit longer early and making the pitch a little bit bigger for our more agility. I strongly think it would be great to have four in. I don't mind who he is. We can easy to name. Have four in the middle there and say, we're going to control this area in the first half, and then be more expansive once we've got a level of confidence in the second half. I do think it's important we do that. Don't yeah. give them anything. Match them with, you know, you could easily see a, a Shaka, Gwendouzi, a Willock, mm. and and Sabias, right? Mm. You can see that as a four, and that's got a lot. That's got a lot of things in there. That's got experience. That's got personality that's got legs and that's got agility and intelligence to connect and create a release foul for people under pressure in possession and then you have your two fours and we don't need to tell them how to play we've got a player to come on when you take off your fourth midfielder in the second half and be more expansive with three forwards so i i think 
that's how I would approach the game. I think if they, in these top six games, you sort of take them in, in like 10 minute chunks. And I don't mean to be negative when I say a diamond, but I'm just saying, no, we've got great midfielders. Let's play them. Let's play them. Let's keep our superstar forward, winger, strut merchant on the bench. Let's run out a Willock or run out some in the first half and then say, okay, now we're going to play you. We're going to play you in a 4-3-3 and now you're going to have to watch us play. And that's how I would approach it. And I think it's very important we do that to stop the waves because we've been blown off of their pitch historically with goals in, in, in real small spaces. And I think that's what we've got to start. And Liverpool expect to do that. They expect to do it again. I think they're going to be surprised for our running power. We've got a little bit more experience, a little bit more better decision at the back. And we've definitely got a forward, which is the match of anything they have. I think it's going to be, I'll tell you what, I'm getting excited the more I talk about it. I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, you know what I, I could see that I would really like would be a 4-1-3-2. And what I mean by that is, you know, so the four across the back, you know who they are. The three in midfield would be Ceballos, Genduzzi, and Willock. Okay? But behind them, I'd put Torreira in, and I'd say, you just follow Firmino around. Just follow him around the pitch. Wherever he goes, you go. Don't let him drop into those pockets of space. Don't let him pop up between the thirds, between the lines, and distribute. You just follow Firmino around. And then up front, Lacazette and Aubameyang. You know, and, and let them kind of split a little bit wider and attack in from the channels, or, or even Pepe and Aubameyang and do that. And let the, the midfield three try to control possession, pressure Liverpool's midfield, don't give them any space to distribute, and hope that by doing that, you can choke off the service to Salah and, and Mane. Because I really do believe that once Salah and Mane get on the ball, they're going to destroy us. I don't think we have a defender who can stay with either of them. Maitland-Niles definitely can't stay with Sadio Mane. Nacho definitely can't stay with Salah. And I don't know if I trust the the center backs to be able to to give the help. So... Denying them the ball by cutting off service to Firmino, denying them the ball by pressing in midfield with with numbers and and trying to counter. I think that could work. I mean, Paul, how do you feel about that? How do you how do you feel about how we can use our personnel to keep the ball out of the feet, away from the feet, the killer feet of their two wide forwards? Look, I definitely think three center backs uh, is the logical way to stifle them. All right, can um, I stop you just for a second? So when yeah. we've played the back three, that's when I think we've been the absolutely most vulnerable in wide spaces. We got killed in the wide spaces when we played the back three. That's that's how teams attacked us, behind the wingbacks. You really think that, that the back three gives us solidity there, especially because you're bringing in extra defenders well, who are not equipped to handle Salah or, or Mane in terms of agility or movement? Well, if you've got three of the back... Uh, depending on what stage of the game at, you, you may in fact have five at the back to cut off those wide spaces. Uh, I don't think even when we play uh, a four at the back, our two full backs, we really close down those crosses. And it, it never seems to have been a feature of Emery at Arsenal that the the rush is to get Maitland-Niles or Nacho out to match up against the, their wing-backs or full-backs coming forward to put in crosses to close them down. and we, It's just not a feature of our game. It, uh, Emery's tendency is much more to keep it compact, whatever that lineup at the back is. So if you're worried about Firmino uh, weaving his patterns and creating havoc, three at the back uh, with Luis in the middle who's not the most positionally disciplined player, but loves loves a combat of tussle. And then we get the ball uh, with three centre-backs. Uh, Luis is free to take a position that that can long ball it over the top to Aubameyang. There's a, there's a lot to be said for it uh, in either direction. Now, personally, I still would like us to back up with Back, uh, kind of match them with four-three-three. But to your scenario, if we've three centre backs and three midfielders, which we haven't done with them before, and we haven't generally done with three at the back, if we've Sabalas sitting, Sabayas sitting quite deep uh, among our midfielders, that's a different proposition to what you're comparing us to, because normally we haven't had that third midfielder. And I think when you think of Firmino running down the middle. Uh, in the 5-1 last season between Socrates and um, and Mustafi, Mustafi and the gap a mile wide mm. and our 
midfielders scrambling after him. I think Chak has chased him back and doing okay, but he, he's starting from behind. Instead of having that situation, you've actually got three centre-backs. You've got uh, Luis in the middle, uh, right where right down the middle where he ran, and you had three midfielders and therefore more coverage in front of that. So it's a whole different proposition. And I, I think it was Tim who said he could see us transitioning from three at the back uh, um, to two centre-backs, in the, for example, in the second half when we wanted to be more aggressive rather than the other way around. Uh, that was an interesting thought. I would have seen us doing what we did against Burnley where maybe to hold on, we, we put in that third centre-back later on in the game. But his thought was we start with three centre-backs and then get more aggressive in the second half, which is an interesting twist. Yeah. Personally, I, I, I still tilt towards 4-3-3 because I'm not sure we need to be that scared of this yeah. Liverpool quite yet. Mm. But I, I still think... That's not to say we go at them in the first half. I think you still keep it very compact. And where you've upgraded your security is by having three proper uh, CMs with Ceballos right in the mix for that first half to make sure we got it locked down. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Liverpool are sort of in a transition in the sense that, and they did this last season too, they are not the gegenpressing, you know, counterpressing maniacs that Klopp is known for. They were not last season, and they are definitely not so far this season. In the Super Cup against Chelsea in the first half, they pressed basically not at all. In the second half, when they needed to get back in the game, they started the second half pressing, and Chelsea got blown off the pitch for about 20 minutes. They couldn't live with it. I don't think Liverpool right now want to come out of the gate pressing aggressively. That's not their style. I, I think Klopp has transitioned them to a different way of playing, and... They're, so I they're think more possession team now. They're, they're a more, more possession, possession team. team. They're playing a slightly higher line. Um, but here's here's what's interesting to me, Clive. When you look at the big games last season, where we were pretty good, I don't know if we played a back three in any of them. I I, I mean I I'm struggling to think. I know some of our best performances. I guess we used it against Spurs at home in the game that we won. Yep. Um, first half. We played, first half. Yeah, yeah. We played back four a lot against the, the big sides. And what I noticed that we did, and this was true early in the season, if you remember against City and Chelsea, right when Emery arrived, we played back four, but really narrow. And we played a box in midfield and we kept central spaces closed off. It seems like what Emery wants to do against the big teams is really muck up the center of the pitch and force them out wide and force them to try to find a way through a, a really tight column of players through the middle of the pitch. Now, unfortunately, Liverpool are a team that can probably find a way to, to live with that. So, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, hey, 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 look, the, the, the way people look at the back three, it's just not correct. Right? So when you're playing a back three, what you're literally doing is removing a defender. You're not yes. adding anything. You're yeah. taking one out. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the, the players see it as the most attacking formation because you're removing a defender and you're pushing everything up. And you're saying, we're going to stay here. We're going to defend with three. Right? So, and, and that means we, we push up in wide areas and we use it as an aggressive attacking tactic. Right? So, or you use it as a, as a game state finisher for a team like Stoke the other day. Right? So, um, so Bur- Burnley, I, I understand why you'd confuse them with Stoke, but Burnley. Yeah, yeah you know, he, I did it on purpose. Right? So, um, and so basically, <laughs> um, that so the back four against big teams, you can't, you just, you've got to play that way. For me, you've got, and I'm a fan of the back three, but against the big teams, you can't give them anything. You can't give them nothing. No green grass to go and see. It's a, it's a battle of midfield. So Liverpool's midfield, they're going to have Fabinho, probably Wijnaldum, and probably Henderson as a midfield three. But so there's not a lot of agility, creativity. There's a lot of running. There's lots of covering fullbacks, and there's a lot of counter pressing when we have the ball. This is why I think we could surprise them. Cause I think we've got better players on the press than we've had for a while. A bit more athletic and a bit more. Sorry, a bit harder to read and what they're going to do. So I'm interested by that. And our ability to release from the pressure was really, really good last week against a quite a, a physically fit team that was pressing. Liverpool don't press per se, but what they have improved on massively is what they do when they have the ball. I think they've developed a bit more of a creative attacking force and they attack into their midfield, out to fullbacks, cross early, take Firmino into midfield, try to get some one-twos going. They've got more comfortable with having the football. 
They've got, maybe I think, too comfortable because they're creeping up the pitch and they're full of strut. They know they've got Gomez and, and Van Dyke and they win all the races. And they don't, teams have not brought it up to them through their midfield to start sliding things through. But Chelsea did for a long period in that Super Cup, right? Norris did with simple, good passing combinations, got through their midfield and onto their back line. When you're onto their back line, they have become so dependent on Van Dijk. Watching him play reminds me of Vieira's Arsenal. If he was in, not in our midfield, we didn't have a midfield. And we became so dependent on him to do two jobs. And Van Dijk is doing Robinson's job. That's why he's so high up the pitch all the time. And if he's playing if he's playing with a centre-half that's not on his game, he has to do his job. And he's also got to keep his eye on the goalkeeper at the moment. I think there's a potential weakness there because of over-reliance and dependence on Van Dijk. And I think we can really do something against him because I think he's, he's becoming a little bit... Um, Roy the Rovers in his defending. He's just now, I'm back here. Don't worry, lads. But with good combination of smart movement. You can you can beat that. And, and I've seen him being moved around by by Timo Pukki. You know, he's been moved around, right? And, he's, and I think we've got a chance, but we've got to keep the midfield compact. Don't give them the sides early on. And really progress. I think, once, I think we could cause some, some nerves and some issues. Mm, yeah, well, uh, let's do this then. Let's let's start to talk about what we think is going to happen. And, Paul, I want to ask you a question because that's how this format works. Um, if I said you had about 100,000 pounds on the starting lineup and I gave you the option to tell me how many of the players you think you could get right with 100,000 pounds on the lineup, out of the 11, how many do you think you could pick correctly with 100,000 pounds riding on it? Five, four, seven. Realistically, eight. like if you think you could get eight nailed-on players that you're sure will start tomorrow. Uh, maybe seven. Seven. All right. Who? So who are your seven nailed-on definitely starting? All right. So I got Socrates. Uh, uh, outfield players or no? No. No. Of the it's the <laughs> eleven. You, yeah, Leno. Yeah, you get Leno. There you go. If Martinez starts, Socrates, I'm going to die laughing. Socrates, Luis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ainsley, Maitland, Niles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nacho. Okay. Uh, That's okay. five. Okay. Ceballos. You wow! You're that confident Ceballos will start, huh? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah, I think so. Ceballos, uh, Lacazette, and really, Aubameyang. Hmm. Yeah. The How only players I'm sure will start are the four defenders you named, the goalkeeper, and Aubameyang. There is not another player I am sure will start in the entire lineup. Um, so go ahead for me. Pick the rest of them. How, how's he, how's he going to set us out? You don't have to say necessarily how the formation will look. Who are the 11 going to be? Um, I think Chak is 50. I think Ganduzi probably starts. Uh, and so if Chak ain't playing, I think... It's either Torreira or Willock, and I think that's about 50-50. Um, so my guess would be the midfield is going to be uh, Ganduzi, Ceballos, and ooh, probably Torreira, but I prefer Willock because I think he will just match up well against them in midfield. Uh, the front three, I, I still think he's going to start with Mkhitaryan, Lacazette, and Aubameyang. And... Mkhitaryan might be that fourth midfielder that Clive's been talking about. Um, and I think Maitland-Niles and Nacho at at uh, full back, assuming a four at the okay. back. So that's that's my midfield three. Yeah, the, the yeah. midfield three. Sabias, Genduzi, and probably Chak is the most likely, but but I'm going with Torreira. Torreira slash Willock, one or the other. I will say this. I, I think the reason Pepe won't start ultimately is because I think Aubameyang and Pepe both in the front line is too little defensive intensity off the ball. I think Pepe really has to show that he can up his defensive intensity before Emery will feel confident starting him in big games. Now you could say that's a dumb thing to think about an attacking player, 
but I think that Emery thinks it. And I certainly think you can't go to Anfield with any passengers off the ball. Lacazette is a worker off the ball. And so I think that's why he's in line to start. Personally, I would go the front line of Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, and Pepe. Um, but I don't think Emery will do that because I think he will want Lacazette's slightly better control of possession, although I think that's overstated, but definitely is off the ball intensity. But, but isn't mm-hmm. it a jump to think that Pepe is definitely ready? Because uh, that's not the vibe I'm getting from Emery. He's kind I know, of, I, he's, I think he's, he's definitely ready. I'm, I don't think Emery thinks he's ready. <laughs> yeah, but but that's an that's kind of an Elliot thing, isn't it? We always have the we always have this. You're impatient that the new guy doesn't start, and managers. Oh, I'm are not a bit mad about it. Wait, let me be clear. Yeah, I totally could understand feeling this game comes too soon for Pepe. What I'm saying is, yeah. I want to attack the channels. I want to attack the spaces between the fullback and the center back, and I think that Pepe is the better player for that. I don't think Lacazette has looked great yet this season. I think he's still a little rusty. He didn't have much of a preseason, and I realize this is coming right after a game where he scored a crucial goal with individual brilliance. But other than that, was not in the game at all. I I think that Lacazette. Statistically, I'd start him. I just I'm just guessing he's not ready yeah, in some and, and that, one by form the way, or the other. Paul. Totally, totally understandable. I think there are good reasons not to start him. Um, I think it's interesting that Emery made the comment in his pre-match presser. He said, uh, I think Pepe is ready for more minutes than he played last weekend, but last weekend he played 45. So, so you know, what's he going to give him? An hour? No, he's not going to sub him on after 30 minutes. So if he really means that he's ready for more minutes on Sunday, he's start on Saturday, he's starting, but I don't think he will. I agree with you. Look, I, I, I am saying I think Lacazette and Aubameyang will both start when push comes to shove, I think Emery likes to have them both out there because he also knows, look, I- I'm right. Lacazette didn't play well in the other game, but he scored a goal. Aubameyang, I don't know if he played brilliantly, but he scored a goal. And the fact of the matter is, when you have two strikers who cannot play well and both score a goal, you're going to win a lot of games. So there's nothing wrong with that. Clive, I want you to pick an 11, not a 14, yep. not a I could see this 17 people playing. Pick, pick an 11, and, uh, uh, and, okay. and let's see how close we can get. Okay, so Leno, uh, right to left, Maitland-Niles, Socrates, um, Luis Monreal. He'll be Shaka Gwendouzi, Sabayas. He'll be Aubameyang, Pepe, and Lacazette. Mm, That's the team. Wow. Okay. I think it's August. August. Let's not piss about. It's August. We're going to go there, and we have to find out about what we've got. But why not try to find out? The world won't end, whatever happens. But we may learn something that will be invaluable for us this season, right? We'll learn about if, where Shaka is, where he is, where, you know, I think he's the leader of, of the team. We we see his failings, but I think going to that cauldron, we need somebody like that. Um, Gwendouzi is another player that doesn't lack um, gumption. He will want the ball at all times, and so will Tobias. That's three ball-hungry players in there. What they do on it, how they move it quickly. Their job is really simple with that front three. What I like about the front three is two of them will come short and they'll roll into the centre of midfield. And I think that would be interesting because particularly from the right-hand channel, I think playing Pepe is the masterstroke because what that's going to do, that's going to make Robertson think and it's going to make Van Dyke think. That kid's got the ability to hold up uh, to hold up a train, seriously, he can just stand there, hold, and the game stops, and then he starts it when he's ready. I think that's going to make Van Dyke nervous. That's going to give space for a Babian. There is no prizes in waiting to find out by talking about Mkhitaryan and talking about Torreira, who's not ready. Right? Um, don't, these players will play in time, but let's find out in August what we've got. You know, we might learn something. That will help us for the Spurs home game the week after. But we won't die wondering by playing that team. And I, I don't see an issue with it. We've got, we got people at the base. we got a floating connector in midfield. And we got three forwards. And I do I do think um, Pepe takes up good defensive positions. By that, he doesn't press the ball maybe. You, you probably know better than me. But I what don't. he does do... <laughs> okay. What he does do, he's a, he's, he seems to be available for the pass. And there's a saying I always have, make sure they can see your boots in the crowd. If you're a defender to, to the midfielders, I say, make sure they can see your boots. Get on the line they can see your boots. And that means you can help so much on getting on the counter press by being really available at the right time and then holding it and allowing us to get out. I think Pepe does that. I think Aubameyang doesn't do that as well, but he does it with pure hard work. He does really help on his side. 
But I, I think if you're a Liverpool team now, and they do play Alexander-Arnold, and they do play their normal team, then they have to be wary of our two forwards, surely. They have to be. And so you're going to make a plan for those two. You can't just leave them two and two. I, I think we'll take them. Right? So, um, so I think the usage of those front three will be important. And I do think how Lacazette comes back into midfield and really works back into there to catch them and sneak up on them and surprise them. And we spring from there will be important. So I see that as the team. No hesitation. And I hope we pick it. Yeah, I, I got to tell you something. You, you've said something that really resonates with me, which is this is free money in a sense. Look, I don't think Liverpool are some all-conquering Goliath that we can't play with, but I do think that these are free points in the sense that if you get no points at Anfield, it doesn't derail your season. So yeah, go at them with Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Pepe and see how that front three looks. And put Torreira, Ganduzi, and, and um, Ceballos or... Willick, Ganduzi, and Ceballos in midfield, and then put the four across the back that you know we can pick right now. Of course, we don't have Tierney or Bellerin yet, but and see how it goes, and and learn some things about how that lineup, that mobile, agile f- midfield, that dynamic attacking front three with our you know our three arguably best attacking players all together works, and come away with if not the points, some insight. You know, something that Emery can use as a data point to build over the season and understand. You know, what worked, what didn't work. Because, uh, look, I, I think short of getting embarrassed, nothing that happens on Saturday derails our season. You know, I, I remember last season we started with City and Chelsea, and we lost both games. And I remember very clearly after those two games, I actually felt more upbeat after those two games than I think I did after Project 22 because I saw some really good signs of the type of football we wanted to play and the things we were working on. And then, unfortunately, we kind of moved away from them. So I think you could losing, lose on losing Saturday. Losing this game... Sorry, mate. I was going losing yep. a game running scared versus losing a game with no inferiority complex and trying to win it. I know which one I prefer. I don't. I think it's time we stop walking into these grounds with an inferiority complex. We have the players. We've invested in the players. They're in form. Play them. Trust them. Yeah. It's I, you no know what? problem. I, I totally agree. I and and look, that, that's not to say that you shouldn't build a coherent game plan for the opposition you're playing. The one thing we were always critical of Arson about is Arson threw his best players out there, devil be damned, play our way, and then get hammered because our way didn't work. And I don't think anyone wants to go back to that necessarily. But yeah, I, I think you can learn a lot from doing it that way. Paul, before we go into score predictions, I'll give you some feedback here because in the chat you have typed very angrily that you disagree with us. So why do you disagree with us? Yeah, I gotta disagree. There, there is something at at play here. It's not free money. If Pepe gets a setback in terms of his confidence, that's that's going to cause uh, and slow down and impact his introduction and impact on our thirty-eight game season. So, uh, while you can say, can, can I push hey, back no. on that? How, how how would his confidence be knocked in any way by what happens tomorrow? Well. How about he's shit? <laughs> so, but so I mean, what? So he's shit at Liverpool. A lot of people. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I, if, if he was guy, a defender, the hang the on, just hear me out. He stepped into a swimming pool wearing his socks and a shirt, right? He barely knows which way is up at the moment. He he's learning his way around the city. Uh, I mean, if we, you were but, concerned but he didn't in, come in the, the Premier chat. League to sit on the bench in Anfield either. These kids want to play at these big stadiums. That's why they come to the, the league in the first. Like, the, if he was a defender, Paul, I'd say I agree. Because if we ship five goals and it's his first game and he feels guilty of that, sure. But he's he's a forward. Like, is he really going to have anything happen to him in this game that that derails his season? Yeah, and not his season, but. You could lose several weeks of confidence really? and introduction. Look, why not just bring him on in the second half? It's not like we're not going to need the goals. Where he runs after tired legs, where he's had some success. I mean, it's one thing to say he can play more than 45 minutes. That's not the same as he's ready to play 90 minutes. He's ready to start. They're going to be ready for us from the get-go. Don't make our problems Pepe's problems. He's just on a different introduction path. And you see manager after manager bringing in players. This guy speaks French. That's it. Um, He doesn't know London. He doesn't know how to step into a swimming pool. He's a kid. Um, And if you don't think that going out there in front of... 60,000 Liverpool fans and having a sticker and ha- stinker and getting yanked off at half time wouldn't affect your your confidence when all you've ever played for is Lille uh, before that. Of course, it could have an impact. That's, so that's in- it's interesting there is a how, risk. 
I, it's I interesting how you, how you <laughs> it's interesting how you perceive the player because um he's a grown man he's in his prime he's 20 he's, he's 24, 23 years old he's 24 years old he's in his prime we bought him for 70 million pounds but should, should i tell you should i tell you where he's not a kid it's when the ball's at his feet this yeah, is this is what I took. Though, this is this is what I took from the game last week. He absolutely plays like a matador. He's got absolute total confidence on the football. My only issue is I hope we get the ball to him enough, right? Because I, 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 his technical ability, one-on-one situations to manipulate and move the ball, protect its safe side, keep the ball moving. I think I'm I'm more confident of that than I am in, in front of goal at the moment. I've just not seen it. Do you know what I mean? He had a weak You've shot. He's had a weak passes a, though too. I yeah, mean, his passes he, are fine. He's a lot, he hasn't settled in, Clive. He just hasn't. Oh, but I'm not saying he has settled in, Paul. I'm saying to you, neither has Shaka by that measure. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, the guy has got technical confidence that I think is repeatable wherever it is. He just has that thing about how he receives the ball and how he moves it. So I think this is the perfect place to play him. You know, the perfect place. where wouldn't, it, it, but, but even by that, Clive, wouldn't perfect be the start of the second half when they're getting a bit more tired? It, Isn't that Paul, more I, 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 I wouldn't, the, the, I wouldn't yeah. cry myself to sleep over that. Mm. I, but I, I, you, I got asked a question about how well I'd start. And I'd say this is what I would do. Right? But if he came on second half and, and say Nelson started, that wouldn't be the end of the world. That that you know, I'd much prefer that than going to a back three and, and showing inferiority that we're trying to stop you. I would like to say uh, I want to you know. So Nelson brings a lot of the same things and a lot more work rate right, in the first half. I'm sick of going to Anfield and the game being over at halftime. So that wouldn't be the end of the world for me, Paul. Absolutely. If he came on at halftime or he came after after an hour, it doesn't matter. But what I'm trying to say to to you and everybody is that why be inferior? We we all feel positive. We're now we're playing Liverpool. So what? Right, so what? It's August, right? So what? We're playing them, and they're talking about us. So everyone can see there's a better construct to our centre midfield. We've got a, a much more experienced defender in the back line. Monreal is get he's got a little bit of the youth juice at the moment at left back. He's and he's not having to run into corners at left centre half. He's in his hole and he's doing fine, right? He's got a Bamiyang ahead of him, and he's just underlapping him. And he's just been steady, and that's great. Mate Niles has improved, and he has got the speed to stay. But the only one in the league's got the speed to stay with Mane. We know he can knock off at times. Set our back four up, and we got midfield personality. And I don't mind what we do up, to, but I think I definitely think Abamyang and Lacazette should definitely start the game. And then we had the third one, Paul. Absolutely, second half will start the game, but let's not play with kid gloves here we spent 72 million pounds on this guy and he is a very very good player i guarantee you if liverpool saw nelson on the team sheet they'd be a lot more pleased than they saw pepe on the team sheet Right, and, so, and I want to say something uh, too. Well, no, go, well, go hang, ahead, on, hang, on, hang on, hang on, just a second. Klopp is I, no fool, so I don't think if you agree with me that Pepe can have an even more perfect introduction in the second half than the first half. Klopp knows that too. He he might look at Klopp and think uh, at Pepe and say that guy's still working out to cover his fullback, how to pass in the midfield. He may not be that scared of Pepe being introduced in the first half, and it's not a sign of weakness to say uh, Pepe's coming up to speed. We'll play him in the second half. We're going to play Mkhitaryan or. Nelson on the other side because they're played in and they they know how we play. Paul, Paul, uh, what you're saying convinced. there, Paul? What you're saying there, Paul? That that's football. Yeah, you're, and that, and you've make a really valid point. What you said originally was it could crush his confidence, and I don't agree with that. I think he's got a level of technical confidence. Well, I said he could set him is, back. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Don't don't let's not worry about that because I think the boy can play. I don't think confidence is an issue. I think but he can I, play. From, I think from a footballistic point of view, your he'll point come is in faster in the second half than okay. the first half, and and confidence is significant to a player like this. I he, I mean, Marcus Rashford announced himself to the football world by scoring against us. <laughs> you know, I mean, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain had his breakout performance That's great, against. But- but, against AC but, but Milan in the Champions Rashford League. Rashford has gone backward based on confidence. He lost the ability to score. These are young players. It's a lot of pressure. But, but you that put them can in happen the right to any player. They at the end of the day, 
you know, when, it can when you get paid, but you should put them in good circumstances. Do, I mean, Mustafi, Mustafi's a 30 year old player. He lost his, his confidence. Mustafi's a 30 year old player who lost his confidence and can't play anymore. Like, that can happen at any point in your career. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, load the dice in his favor. If, if he's a good enough player to be a, a game winner at Anfield, start him at Anfield. If you don't think he's ready, if the, if the coach doesn't believe he's ready, genuinely doesn't believe he's ready, either his fitness isn't ready or tactically he's not ready, he shouldn't start. I totally agree with that. I think the idea of not starting him purely because it's a high-pressure situation and failure could set him back is a bad reason. If he's tactically not ready, if he's physically not ready, Paul, I totally agree with you. Don't start a player who is not integrated enough to start. If the reason you're not starting him is it's a hard game and emotionally it could be too much for him, I think that's a bad reason. That's just a slight disagreement philosophically. But, you know, a lot of these players lose their confidence late in their career. A lot of these players lose their confidence middle of their career. That can happen to anyone. Um, you know, I, I I don't think... I think most big players also want to play big games. I think if you ask Pepe, does he want to be out there to start a game at Anfield? That's one of the reasons he came to the Premier League, to, to go out there and you're, be on the Anfield pitch. You this to every time, though. When Chat, you're doing it again. You said you wouldn't. Chaka came in. He didn't I, get I, played I never said for I a little while. We want to introduce him. Torreira came in. We didn't really play him for a while. We wanted to introduce him. They gotta find their feet and they gotta find their confidence and they gotta that. find the synchronicities. I don't you, have a problem. You don't with drop that. them in the middle of Anfield minute one when you can drop them in at forty five minutes if and they've got some space. Physically and they can fit play. enough and tactically prepared enough to start, he should start. I don't think his psychological well being should be a factor. Um managers do this time and time again at Arsenal. Yeah, and, and they get it wrong most of the time. So we'll see what happens. But let's do this. Let's let's do a score prediction. Um uh Clive, what do you think? Um, I think it could be, and by saying this, it means we're going to lose. I say this could be a 2-2 draw, but I actually think we can win the game 2-1. Okay. Um, I would take that, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Paul, what about you? I'm thinking a 2-1 or a 3-1. I'm going to go with 2-1. 2 who? We lose. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, look. I, I think we'll, it'll be good performance, and we could tie it, but I'm going with a 2-1 loss. Yeah, I'm going to go 3-1 loss. I, I think we will play well, but I think that our back line is still not strong enough to resist what they have up front. So I think we'll play... It could be one of those typical games, you know what I mean, guys? The ones where you're like, oh man, that was, that, was, that was a harsh result on us because we were playing really well. But at the end of the day, defensive errors are not quite being good enough in defense against the really phenomenal front line they have could make the difference. I think... Um, you know, I, I think we will play well and lose because we're just not quite defensively as solid as we need to be. And, and we know that. And that's going to be an issue throughout the season that we have to work on. We'll only I get think, better. I think, yeah. I think playing well will be a, will be, will be a win because we haven't played well there for a long time. You know? Okay. I think playing well is so important to going into the Spurs game. I think that's yeah. the key thing to let everyone know that we're back. Because we, we all feel it secretly, but we all concerned this is the one place we get blown off the park normally so what do we do, do we go into our shell or do we go to play and i hope we go to play and then mm. let, let's find out where we are let's find out where we are in august home game versus spurs takes care of itself right don't worry about that um that'll be that'll be absolutely fine but we have a chance to find out where we are and uh, and notwithstanding paul makes some great points about the second half like i say i wouldn't cry myself to sleep but i hope we play a shape as which says, yeah, we're here. This is what we are now, and we've got players that want the ball in midfield, and we're going to take you. And that's why that would be my team talk. Let's not piss about anymore. It's time, you know, we've been in this stagnant position for so many years, scared of our own shadow. I've had enough of it. We've got good players. Let's play. Let's go and take one, them. One thing to bear in mind, by the way, you know, they don't have Allison back there. They have Adrian. Adrian's distribution is not great, and I don't think he has a lot of confidence. So maybe you want to try to test him a little bit more. You know, I, I think get him in the game early, see if he's up for it, because that's that's a potential weakness for them that they didn't used to have. Um, you know, Allison could get the ball at his feet, hit the ball long, and hit Salah and stride running in behind your back line. I don't think Adrian can do that. Press him, get him in the game, and see if you can get him to make an yeah. error. Uh, Paul, uh, just real quick. We didn't mention him at all, but I think we should at least touch on it. You think Ozil could play any part in this? Uh, no. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Not I, ready. I, not ready uh, yet. Not ready yet. Yeah. Uh, uh, Based on reports, we don't know, though, do we? So. No, we don't. Uh, and I'm kind of hoping 
uh, I mean, uh, I haven't written Chakov uh, for this season in terms of his contribution. I think he can be still a significant player for us, a big player for us, especially if we move to uh, Sabayas in there so we got that midfield three. But, you know, the, they, the manager did say that only by Friday would he give the green light to Chaka or Ozil. So uh, I'm kind of hoping that he keeps Ozil and Chaka on the back burner for this game on the basis that they were kind of touch and go. Um, and mentally, they may not quite be prepared or the rest of the team may not be prepared for them. So that's kind of why my hope that we'll stick with the same th- three midfielders we had for the last game, which would yeah. kind of preclude Chaka or Ozil. Yeah, I you totally know, agree. You know, you know Paul's point about Pepe and confidence. Fair enough. Oh, I feel God. We're going back to it. About, about, <laughs> uh, I feel similarly about about Willock, and I might be being unfair, right? But I feel I feel I want to protect him. Maybe he comes on late. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. if if you sense something, you know, if you sense that, Paul, you're well within your rights, right, to say it. But I sense it about Willock. I think you know what? We, you don't need to play here. You know, you can maybe come in when the situation suits you. But then I think, well, hold on a minute. He came on in the Europa League final and ripped it. You know, so sometimes we get overprotective. And when it comes down to what was really refreshing about last week's game was we had such mobility and verve and dynamism and reverting back to old plodders because they give us comfort maybe isn't what we should be doing. Although I do think Shaka will play because that is a sensible thing to do. But if Willett did play with the same midfield as last week, oh, I think that'd be fantastic yeah. to see us go for it. I really I, do. I was a guest on a Liverpool pod yesterday and I always think it's interesting what other fans think and they were talking amongst themselves about how they hope Shaka will play, not because they don't think he's any good, but because they think he's a vulnerability in our team and someone who can be targeted. Um, and I just think that's interesting to see their perspective that they thought he he was someone that they could target if he starts. But we'll see. Look, guys, I mean, it's exciting. It's nerve-wracking. Liverpool's a better team than us. All you have to do is look at where they finished in the table last season, the fact that they won the Champions League and where we were playing last season and the, the competition we were in. That doesn't mean we can't compete with them. So I would like to see us go out there and compete and measure ourselves. Um, and I don't think we have to measure ourselves by the points we get, you know, because Burnley might go there and get points. That doesn't mean they're as good a team as they as they are. I'd like to see us measure ourselves against them in our football, and and we'll see what happens with the points. Um, and our first good argument of the season. So that was fun, Paul. I always appreciate when we can tangle. <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. No, no, it's fun. Look, it's good no, fun. It, it, it's, all, it's a game of opinions. Um, and and everyone is entitled to bad ones. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Clive, Clive's on Twitter. At Clive VAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Asshole Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Leave us a five-star review right now. things about us in the comments. Um, we'll be back with a post-match podcast with Tim, of course, and Scott will be back along as well. We'll be uh, posting the recording of this in a couple of places, including on Patreon as a podcast and maybe on YouTube. I'll figure out where to put it. Can't really put it into the regular pod feed for reasons that will bore you, but it'll show up somewhere. Uh, to everyone who joined us live, I just want to say thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Um, we'll do live YouTube shows as well, but sometimes these audio ones are easier to pop up with and easier for people to listen to. So, big game up the Arsenal. Three big points coming. Massive, massive game, including a phenomenal second-half debut from Pepe that proves a masterstroke psychologically from memory. So, we'll look forward to that. So, all right, everybody, get excited. Big game coming up this week in our first big game of the season. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool 0.